Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. You can have a seat and check this out. It's the Rocking Bible. There was talk everywhere. Then the man said, and the light was there. He said, I done good. There's no doubt on the seventh day. He just chilled out. Genesis, Genesis, beginning of death, beginning of death. Finally, the good book is bad, and his word is nasty. Check it out, there's a town called Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody potted like no tomorrow. God looked down and said, I'm a fool. Don't look back or you'll turn too sore. My wife took a peek, started to freeze. Cow came up and licked her cheek. Take a lick, y'all, of a cheek, y'all. Take a lick, y'all, of a cheek, y'all. All the psalms, all the parables, every sacred biblical word interpreted by the finest sucker MCs of all time. God said to know, I'm planning a flood. You better build an ark. No history blood. So Noah built his ark and his wife through a fish. She said, all these animals smell like the rapping Bible, making his word fresh again. So they're coming next week. Uh, we're really excited <laughs> to have a guest band, uh, Sucka MCs, uh, in our presence. Uh, man, I, I don't know if you grew up on that kind of stuff, but it, it, I grew up Southern Baptist, and we had a church library where we had just shelves and shelves of videos of, of this type of, I don't know even how to describe this, this ministry fueled by uh, backwards hats and subtly trying to refer to bad words and trying to like, there were a lot of puppets involved, not in this video, but there were a lot of videos I remember watching that just had puppets for no reason. Uh, and man, I know that there's a lot of good that can come out of, out of some of those attempts, right? Attempts to reach a culture that's different or, you know, that, that loves uh, puppets or horrible rap. Uh, Maybe those people are out there, but the reality is that I think a lot of times uh, some of that is, is just weird, right? And sometimes we look at them and we're like, that is not good. Like, that's not good. Like, you can say that. That's okay. Like, there's not going to be like lightning and God saying, what do you mean? Like, that was not good. And I think a lot of times when those things were created as those, as those things have, have occurred, uh, as those uh, plans have been enacted, I think the problem many times is that it's people that are moving forward with just whatever they want to do. It's people moving forward with the plan that they made or the, the purpose that they've designed with the, the opportunity that, that they've kind of strategized or the, the whatever it might be, the method that they really care about. It's people moving forward w- without ever actually stopping and, and thinking, hey, what does the Lord think about this plan? How would the Lord maybe put input, pour input into this? How can I seek uh, his guidance in this through maybe prayer or maybe through reading his word or maybe through speaking to his people, going to wise counsel? If I ever come to you and I say, hey, should I talk a, should I just become like a sucker MC? Like immediately you need to say no. Satan be gone. Like you need to just slap me on the head. I need you for that. We need each other. God speaks through us. He speaks through his community. 
And many times we walk into situations, maybe we're walking into this semester, and we've got plans, and we've got missions, and we've got methods, and we've got designs, and we've got all these great things in place, and yet we have not taken a single moment to just stop and see what the Lord has to say about it. So often I do this. So often we do this, where we move into a new day, a new week, a new semester, whatever it might be. And we say, you know what, I'm going to do these things, and I got this stuff, and I'm going to go this place, and I'm going to do that stuff, and I'm going to see these people. And yet we don't take the time to just seek the Lord's input, to just listen. This morning, we're going to do that. This morning, we're just going to listen. And we're going to learn from an example set forth in Scripture in the book of Acts by a man known as Philip. And what we're going to see through his life is not this story of, of one man calling others to know the Lord. He's called Philip the Evangelist, but, but his story is not about him going and grabbing people and bringing them to the Lord. Philip's story is one of a man who is just listening for God's call on his own life and responding to what the Lord puts in front of him. He was listening to God. He was led by God and he was looking for the opportunities that God was gonna place in his life. That's what Philip the Evangelist did. That's what I want us to do. You see, Philip the Evangelist, he's not the same person uh, as Philip the Apostle, right? There's, there's some debate, but the, the vast majority of commentators and theologians would say these are two distinct people. There was a Philip who was a part of the 12 disciples, right? One of the men who was walking with Jesus day in, day out. Uh, and that Philip the Apostle, he's actually, he's pretty uh, hilarious. Uh, his what he accomplished. He only did really a few things in scripture. If you actually look into it, you'll see that Philip the apostle, uh, the, his first uh, speaking role is he uh, was, they were, Jesus was saying, hey, we need to feed these like 5,000 people, these 5,000 plus people that are gathered to hear me teach. He said, we need to feed them. We need to take care of them. And Philip is the guy who's like, well, how are we gonna do that? Okay. So that's the first, that's the first Philip uh, interaction. The second and final Philip interaction uh, is Jesus is talking of, you know, he's teaching him about God and about how he's been sent by God and, and how he kind of, you know, he is God and, and, and how, you know, if you see me, you see the Father. And Philip's like, well, hey, uh, uh, when do we get to uh, see God? And Jesus is like, I am God. You dumb, dumb. <laughs> No more, no more scripture references for you. You'll never be made. Like, and that's, that's kind of it. That's it. That's, that's all that Philip the Apostle does. Philip the Evangelist, we see pop up in Acts. And he's one of seven deacons. He's one of the first seven deacons appointed by the Church of Jerusalem. The Church of Jerusalem had an issue. They had people in need in their midst, and those needs weren't being met. They had widows, and they had orphans, the lowest of the low. And these people were suffering. They were hungry. They needed shelter. They needed clothes. And what was so tragic was that even within their ranks, they managed to find an even lower bar to push some of those widows and orphans to. These Jews, they said, you know what? Some of these people, they're, they're, they speak Aramaic, they speak Hebrew with us, they're cool. But they said, but you know what? Some of these other people, they just speak Greek, the common language of the, of the conquerors. And so these Hellenistic Jews, is what they're called, Hellenistic Jews, uh, were pushed down. These widows and orphans, where there's like a B team on the widow orphan team. 
And so they were looking at these women and these children who were suffering in the midst of a church that's supposed to be loving, and they said, we got to do something. And so they appointed deacons. They chose seven men who had proven themselves to be faithful, who had proven themselves to be men who loved the Lord and loved his people. And they said, you're going to take care of these needs. And so Philip was one of them. Stephen, the very first martyr of the church, he was another one of them. So Philip is raised up as a deacon. That's the first time we see him named. And the first thing we see him do is follow through with that position. We see him in Acts 8, verse 4, when those then who were <coughs> dispersed went about spreading the good news. And Philip went down to a city of Samaria and he began to preach Christ to them. And the crowds paid attention as one man to what Philip was saying as they, as they listened to him and saw the signs which he performed. So Philip moves out. He, he follows the command to, to go and take this gospel forward. And he's performing acts and he's saying these amazing things. And this is an incredible moment, not just because he's healing people, as we would see in the next few verses. He's healing people. He's, he, he's, he's casting out demons. That's not what's incredible. It's not just incredible that God was using him. It's the fact that God was using him in Samaria. It's the fact that God took him there. And this is incredibly important. For two reasons. The first is this is the early fulfillment. This is almost an immediate fulfillment of Jesus' final command to his people, the great commission, something we see in Matthew, something we see in Acts 1-8, where he says, I want you to go. And I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea. I want you to go to Samaria. And I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to go to all those places. And I want you to take the good news of what you've heard. I want you to take what you've heard and tell people, tell people what I've done. Tell people about what I've accomplished. Tell people about the life, the eternal life that's available as a free gift through me. Let's do that. And almost immediately, we see it happening. This is incredible. That God would say, hey, Philip, I want you to go to Samaria. I want you to go to this place that most people don't really like. And what's even more incredible than that is we, even beyond this, what we're about to see in the life of Philip is he's gonna be approached by an Ethiopian. You know what's incredible about that is Ethiopia at that time was actually described as the end of the earth. In Homer's Odyssey, he talks about Ethiopians and he uses the term, he calls them the eschatoi androne. The eschatoi androne, meaning literally the last of men. Meaning this is the furthest out the world goes. Obviously, it goes further. We now know, thanks to satellites like Sputnik. And uh, we know these things. But at the time, they're like, no, that's it. So not only are we seeing Philip go to Samaria, we're going to see him go literally to the end of the earth. And this is so incredible because before this time, the disciples, man, if this was Philip, the apostle, he might not have had such a positive attitude. He might not have been willing to go to Samaria because, man, these Jews, they hated Samaritans. They didn't like Gentiles in general, but Samaritans were even worse because they were half-bloods. They had intermixed. They were former Israelites who had intermixed with the conquering Assyrians. And these people... And were despised by the Jews, 
despised to the point where at one point in the Gospel of Luke, the same author from the book of Acts, he says, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. The Samaritans took issue with Jesus Christ because they said, hey, you're gonna go worship in Jerusalem? Well, we don't like that. Because even though the Samaritans mostly worshiped Elohim, they mostly worshiped Yahweh. They mostly worshiped you know, Jehovah, the God of the Israelites. They had other gods as well, though. But, but the, even though they mostly worshiped there, they said, hey, we're gonna go and we're gonna worship in a different place where they believed in a, in a different mountain, a different peak, a different holy place to go to to worship. And so because Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, they're like, ah, bah. So Jesus was rejected by the Samaritans. Happened all the time. He was rejected by so many people. But his followers, a couple of his disciples, took issue with this. When the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Which I'm, I'm like, man, I mean, I appreciate the hustle. I appreciate that they're the go-getters, you know? Like, they're, they're taking initiative. I respect that, you know? Like, that's, that's good. I kind of like that they're, they're kind of, you know, bowing up to Christ and saying, you want us to make them hurt a little bit? Well, yo, I don't know whether mobsters now, but they, they're approaching Jesus and they're saying, man, they can't do that to you, to us. Let's call down fire. And I should be quick to point out, we never actually see James and John ever do, like there is no precedent for them being able to call fire down from heaven. <laughs> they're just like, I mean, Elijah did it. Maybe that's what they're thinking of. And they're like, yeah, we can do that. Whatever. Come on. Like, this is the moment. The fire bros. Here it goes. Like, they were, they're ready to start it. And, and, and Jesus Christ, he turns and he rebukes them. He says, no, you dum-dums. Like, stop. What are you, Philip over here? And they went on <laughs> to another village. Jesus Christ says, of course, we're not going to consume them with fire. My gosh. But this was their attitude. And this was towards the end of his ministry, right? He's about to be taken. He's about to die. He's about to be sacrificed on the cross. They've been walking with him for probably years at this point. And even then they despise these Samaritans. And yet Philip the evangelist was told. We don't see the moment where he's told, but we know that he was told. He was called to go to Samaria and he went. He went. So already we see Philip proving himself to be a man who is both outward and inwardly committed and submitted to God. A man who is listening to what the Lord wants to tell him. We're about to see an angel appear to Philip in this account. But that's not the beginning of his journey. So many times, that's, that's the one story we see, but I, I want us to see, I want us to start earlier than normal in the life of Philip the Evangelist because I want us to see he was already proven to be a man who was faithful, who was faithful at the church in Jerusalem, who was faithful to go out of that church to the Samaritans, who was faithful to go out of that even, to an old dusty road, as we'll see in a minute. He was a man who was faithful to, to listen, to, to be serving and sacrificing for the needs of the people around him in a non-glamorous position, serving widows and orphans. That's not the big glamorous spotlight type of position. But he did it. And he went to places that other people didn't want to go because he relied on the Lord, because he listened 
to the Lord and he wanted to be used by God. And I'll tell you, if we want to be used by the Lord, man, if we want to see the Lord accomplish great things through our lives, which we should, we should have that longing. That's not selfish. But don't let the enemy tell you that you're just selfish and, and wanting to be used. That, that is a good desire. We should want the Lord to use us. We should want him to use our talents and our abilities, the gifts that he's given us. But I'm telling you, if you want that to happen, you've got to be listening. You've got to be listening. And as you're hearing and waiting, you excel at what's revealed. It's the passage, Deuteronomy 29, 29, that there are certain things that are revealed to us that we own, that we're responsible for, that we can excel within. We can be listening to the Lord. We can be excelling in, in, in spending time with him in prayer and just stopping and saying, God, I, I want to hear from you today. I want to start this day off on your page. We can spend our time studying his word, the revelation that he's given us in scripture. It's an incredible gift. We can study it on our own. We can study it in community. The community that we're designed to belong to, man, God, God says, I, I want you to be a part of that. That's revealed to us. We know we need that. We know that God is calling us to serve, to give of our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our passions. And I'll tell you, a lot of us have found areas to do that, but a lot of us maybe still haven't. And, and I wanna tell you that we have opportunities right here, right here at Grace, even right here in our college ministry, even right here on Sunday mornings, even if you've got 30 minutes on a Sunday. I mean, we would love to put that to work for God's kingdom, not for the kingdom of grace or the kingdom of Jacob, for the Lord's kingdom. We can use that. You can excel with that right now. Philip was willing to listen. He was willing to love the people that God put in front of him. And that's why God calls him not only to Samaria, but he calls him to this weird road in the middle of nowhere. So an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a desert place. And he rose and he went. Now this scene, it's playing out like a, it's almost like a historical, historical Old Testament event. It's beautiful. That this angel of the Lord, in other words, the, the term that's often used to describe uh, when an angel would take human uh, form, he, he comes to, to, to Philip and he says, hey, I want you to go to this place. I want you to go to this deserted area, to just this road. And Philip's like, okay. So he goes right? That's amazing. If your roommate walked into your room tomorrow morning, he's like, hey, it's MLK day. I need you to go to Snook. These events are not connected at all, but you have the day off. So I want you to go, and you need to go to the middle of Snook. God has spoken. Like that's, you're not going to be like, okay, like that's, this is wild. I mean, it's an angel, but still, like he says, I want you to go to this deserted place. I want you to go uh, outside of your comfort zone. I want you to go to this place that, that's not gonna be really necessarily fun. And yet Philip says, yeah, I'll go there. And, and it shouldn't be too surprising because he already went to Samaria, right? That's an uncomfortable place for him. And the reality is that if we wanna be used by the Lord, we have to be willing to go to places that aren't necessarily very comfortable. We need to be willing to go to places where he's calling us to be, whether or not it's our first choice. That's why we as a ministry have put together trips to go to Kansas city to work with refugees, to go to Greece, to go to, Asia, to East Asia, to go to North Africa. 
We've put together these trips that we offer every summer because we want to show you how powerfully the Lord can use you when you step outside of your comfort. When you go to a new place, a new land, where there's so much need for the gospel to go forth. There are people dying that we need to reach with this good news. And we say, man, we want to send you to be there. We need to be open to that. And you know, just because some place is exotic doesn't mean that's the only uncomfortable place. There are plenty of uncomfortable places that are not very exotic. You could be uncomfortable with being called to be an engineer in Houston. But that could be your calling. To be an accountant in Dallas, to be an organic dog barista in Austin. Like that could be the calling on your life. And I'll tell you, those are good things. Those are wonderful things. The vast majority of us are gonna go and work vocationally here in the States, probably here in Texas. And I'll tell you, that is a wonderful thing because there's great pressing need for the good news of Jesus Christ to go forth into those engineering firms and into those schools and into those hospitals and into wherever you're headed. I mean, God has put so many people, so many opportunities right here in front of us. Just because the location is an exotic doesn't mean it can't be uncomfortable. My wife and I, we've been called to College Station time and time again. And I'll tell you, it's been an uncomfortable experience. You may know this. I've talked about this a little bit, but I've, I was born in College Station. I've lived here the entirety of my days. <laughs> All almost 29 years. Yeah, I remember 1988 College Station. Like, that's me. And I'll tell you, there were so many points in my life where I had these great plans, these great missions, where I was going to go. I was going to do these other things. I was going to go to these other places. I was going to go out and see the world, right? Because that's what I'm supposed to do, apparently. Globalization, I need to go eat snails or whatever. Like I need to go and experience other cultures. And so I, I, I had these plans and time and time again, a few times it was God would close a door that I was running towards. And other times it was, I have an open door over here, but, but God opens an even bigger one right here in College Station. Time and again, my wife and I, we had like four set distinct plans. We were going to go to Dallas. We were going to do these different things. We knew where we were going to live. We knew who, which church we were going to go to, who we were going to hang out with. And, and time and time again, God said, no, I, I want you here. I want you to work in junior high ministry. Oh, I want you to work in, in youth ministry at, at Southland. I want you to work in, in college ministry at Anderson. I want you to do these things. And I'll tell you, even every step of the way, it was so uncomfortable as God was slowly but surely prying my fingers open from gripping my future and gripping those purposes that I had created for myself. And I'll tell you, now that I'm through it, looking back, man, I wouldn't trade a moment. I wouldn't trade any of the relationships that I've been able to form, the, the ministry I've gotten to see the Lord accomplish. But it was not comfortable. But God is putting forth a call on all of our lives. He has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. We just need to be people that are listening. People that are willing to be led. People that are willing to say, you know what? I'll go there. Because you've told me to do so. Philip, because of his ability to listen because of his commitment to go where led. Man, he was looking for opportunities and he found incredible opportunities 
to serve the Lord. We see him pop up, verse 27 of uh, chapter eight, where an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, right? So this Ethiopian, he shows up and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, but now he's leaving, right? So he's leaving Jerusalem. He's going back through Gaza and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now this guy is incredibly unique because of a few little tidbits dropped in there by Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit through Luke. We see he was an Ethiopian eunuch, right? And that was because he was a court official. This was done to him. At some point, he had this procedure of like, hey, you're gonna work in the court with the queen. We can't trust you around her if you are sexually viable. And so we're gonna, we're gonna just end that whole potential problem. But because of that, he was able to work in the court of Candace. And this is an incredibly powerful woman. Because at this time in Ethiopia, her, this name, it's not actually, her name wasn't like, hey, I'm Candace. Like that's, her name was Kandake. And that was, a, it was a title. She was the Kandake. She was the ruler of the kingdom in Ethiopia. Because at this time, the, the, the actual king, what they believed was that the king was actually the son of the son. He was the son's son. And because of that, he couldn't be bothered to write laws or make decrees or make decisions or plan strategies. He would just kind of sit around and just, I guess, sit in the sun or something. Hey, Dad. Like, I don't know. I don't know what he did. But the wife, the queen, was the true ruler of this powerful nation in Ethiopia. And so anyone who was in her court was a powerful person. But this guy, he was the treasurer. He's got the money. So this guy's got power. This guy's got influence. And for whatever reason, not for whatever reason, because God was already moving in his heart, he had a desire to know Yahweh. He had a desire to know the God of the Jews to the point where he would go to Jerusalem despite the ridicule and shame and mocking that he would experience because ancient Judaism, they, they, they hated eunuchs hated him for a lot of messed up reasons. But he was willing to push through that to go and worship, to hear and, and praise this God of the Jews. And he's leaving and he's still reading. He, he probably picked this up in Jerusalem, these writings from Isaiah the prophet. And as he's reading them, he comes upon Philip. And Philip responds to the lead of the Spirit. When the Spirit says, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked to the eunuch, he said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Okay, again, Philip is not moving in with a plan. He's not moving in uh, with some, you know, gospel tract with this like five steps to salvation. He's not moving in with those tracts that looks like a, you know, a $50 bill. And then you open it up and it's like, what's more valuable than money? Like, you're like, ah, you know, like that's, now what he's doing, he's just walking up to the guy and says, hey, what, what are you reading? Like, what, do you understand? Like, what's going on with all of that? Which is a very natural question because at that time, it was customary to read out loud. Ancient Greek is, oh, oh God, it's a nightmare. It is, it is like the thorn in my side. I love it because God has used it, but to write a lot of his scripture, but holy cow, the Greeks, were, they just, I guess they hated themselves because the language that they designed 
Not only does it not matter, like sentence order doesn't matter. So you can just have any words thrown in any, it doesn't matter. If you want to say Jacob threw the ball to Marty, you would just be like, Jacob, Marty, ball, pickle, throw. Like that's, you're like, what? Like, but because of prefixes and suffixes, that's how you're supposed to use it. And you like reorder it. And you're like, okay, the subject and the object and all that stuff from eighth grade that I hated. Uh, that's, that's Greek. Not only that, but even just like visually, not just grammatically was it a nightmare, but visually at this time, the way that you would write out Greek is it would be all caps, okay? All caps and no spaces. No spaces. Just lines of letters. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were reading a book that was just one hashtag? Just one hashtag the whole way. That would be so confusing. In all caps, so they sound angry the whole time too. And you're like, what is going on? That's ancient Greek. And so because of that, these people, they would, they would have to read it out loud. They'd have to verbalize it because they're putting it together like, okay, oh, I'm dog, ball, Marty, a pickle. And so they're putting it all together. And so Philip, he's able to hear the guy reading. And he says, hey, do you understand? Like, what are you reading? Is it sinking in for you? Is it, is, it, is it difficult to get? And the guy says, well, yeah. He says, I don't quite understand it. How could I unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. It's an excerpt from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now this is a very important passage from a very important prophecy about Jesus Christ where we see that he's not only the conquering king of so many other prophecies, but he's also the suffering servant. And the Jews, they, they had a hard time of understanding that that was one person. Even his followers, they didn't, his disciples didn't get it. He would tell them like, hey, I'm gonna die. They're like, no, 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 you're the king. Like, don't worry about it. Peter's like, no, 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 don't. I, got, I have like a knife, so you're fine. <laughs> I can cut off ears. Like, don't worry about it. Jesus is like, no, like I'm going, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be scorned. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be, I'm going to be killed on a cross for you guys. The Jews didn't quite get the Ethiopian. He's having a hard time understanding this. He turns to the Philip and he says, hey, about whom is this prophet even saying? Like, about whom, I ask you, does he even say this? About himself? Is it about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began, and beginning with this scripture, he told them, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, this is incredible. Again, Philip is not walking with a plan. He's not walking with a tract. He's not walking in with the ABCs of salvation. He just shows up. He asks him, hey, what are you reading? The guy's like, hey, come up here. I'm going to invite you to just come on up. So he does. And then he says, I'm going to go ahead and just ask you, uh, who's Jesus, basically, right? Like if you were in Starbucks and you met your barista and said, hey, how's it going? And they're like, yeah, do you know like who Jesus is? Do you know if there's hope for my life? Like if they said that, you'd be like, uh, uh. And, and a lot of us maybe wouldn't turn to Isaiah 53, um, but Philip did. He was able to use what was happening in the guy's life and he literally opens his mouth and he begins gospeling him. They, verbal, they, they, they verbify the, the noun gospel, the good news. They turn into a verb. He starts gospeling. Like if you were telling your buddies, like, hey, last night, yeah, I was at Lupa's with uh, Susie and, and I just like, 
I started like relationshiping here. Like that would be, they'd be like, wow, never say that again. That's weird. Like that's, that's what's happening. They've turned the good news, they've turned the gospel into a verb. And Philip just speaks. And he gospels. And the eunuch hears it. And what's beautiful is that we see that the eunuch receives it, that he believes it. Because next thing you know, as they're going along the road, they see some water. And the eunuch said, hey, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He's saying, hey, why don't I just go ahead and get baptized? And Philip's like, okay. So they stopped the chariot, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he ba- Philip baptized the eunuch. And this isn't some sort of signal of like, hey, you don't you know, got to get baptized. Like, that's how you finalize your salvation. This is just the apostle Luke through the inspiration of the Spirit letting us know, hey, the eunuch believed. He bought in. He understood and he accepted the reality, the good news of Jesus Christ. He didn't just hear it and be like, oh, I'll think about that. He said, yeah, I want it and I believe it. And so let's baptize me as an outward display of my inward decision. Let's have this outward example of my inward reality. I want to be baptized because I believe that Jesus Christ came for me and died for me and rose for me so that I can have a relationship with the God of not just the Jews, the God of not just the Gentiles, the God of all people everywhere. The God who loved the world so much that he sent his son to die so that we might live. Because I believe it. So what's stopping me from getting baptized? Philip's like, not me. Let's do this. Don't. And then the best part. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. As soon as the eunuch is baptized, I'd like to think that he's already like back up and standing, that he's not like still... In the water, because Philip is just, he's just gone. So the eunuch comes back up in the water. Oh, you know, that was a, what? And he's gone. Maybe there's just like a little ripple in the water, like a puff up. He's like, missed. He's like, wow. And then he's like, well, see you later. And he just goes and he goes rejoicing. He just leaves. He goes back to his people. And we don't know what happens to that man. But I'll tell you, the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ spread at an astounding rate. If you look into history, you look at church history, you would not believe, there is nothing like the spread of Christianity ever seen anywhere in this world. It's incredible. The directions it went. I'll tell you, a lot of it was, or, or this is one big piece of that, that one of the last men, the Eschatoi Androne, One of these Ethiopians, he heard it, he believed it, and then he took it to his home rejoicing because of it. Now, Philip, we see him travel around. He found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns, so he came to Caesarea. We run into him again about 20 years later in Acts 21. He's got four daughters. He's doing great. He's doing great. Now he's dead, but he was doing great. But now he's with God, so that's great. Uh, So he showed us a life that was lived for Christ, man. He showed us a life that was lived not, not to create his own purposes, not to create his own plans, but it was a life that was dedicated to that. Man, I, I want to I respond to what God puts in front of me. I'm going to listen. 
I'm going to go where he leads. I'm going I'm to look and see what opportunities does he have around me. Every step of the way, did you catch that? Every step of the way, he's reacting. He goes where he's told to go. He gets up in the chariot because the Ethiopian invites him. He, he talks about Jesus because the Ethiopian asks him. He baptizes the Ethiopian because the Ethiopian's like, hey, water. Philip's like, okay. And so they just does these things. Even at the end, he doesn't just decide to like leave. Like, hey, see ya. Like the spiritual's like, poof, he's gone. Every step of the way, this is a life that's lived in response to what God is doing. That's what we have to remember. That's what we have to recognize. That if we want to be used by God, we have to be looking for the opportunities that he's placing around us because he's already moving. Man, he's already moving and shaking. He's, he's opening hearts. He's opening eyes. He's, he's making people desperate to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You're gonna have roommates. You're gonna have family members. You're gonna have workmates. You're gonna have classmates. You're gonna have lab partners that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They need the life that you've received and they need it, and they want it. God's gone before you. He's already moving. He doesn't even need you, but he's choosing in his grace to allow you to participate in his mission. He says, I've got this going on. I want you to join in. Maybe that means you are gonna shake up your house this semester. Start some accountability with your roommates or, or even a Bible study with your roommates or just intentional time to talk about the Lord, whether or not they're believers. Maybe this means that you're gonna join a pre-existing community or you're gonna buy more into that community that you kind of joined, but then you went like two weeks and you didn't go. Then you like went in December, but then you, you know, like that's, that happens. But maybe you're gonna see this semester, man, God has put these opportunities in front of me. He's put these people in front of me. You're gonna have lab partners. And man, maybe you've had, you've had so many lab partners. And you're like, lab partners don't turn in their graphs. Like, you know, maybe you've been burned a little bit. But this semester, you've got eight lab partners because you hate yourself and you signed up for six labs because you're a fool. But you have done this to yourself. There's no going back until ad drop when you actually could. But you're gonna have these people in your life and maybe this is a semester where you say, you know what? I'm gonna look and I'm gonna see these opportunities. I'm gonna see these relationships with these people and I'm actually gonna take advantage of it. I'm actually gonna move forward and it might be uncomfortable. It might make feel a little bit awkward, but I'm actually gonna just try to get a coffee with all of these lab partners. I'm gonna make a class friend in every class and I'm gonna actually try to hang out with them at least once outside of class to actually start to begin a real relationship where I can talk about real things beyond just like, hey, did you get the notes? Did you get the notes? Okay, great. Put them on the Google Doc. Like that's... There's so much more in front of us. There's such a higher calling. There's such a higher purpose that God's put right here in this deserted road of Texas A&M University and Blinn College. God has people coming through, riding through, and they're not here for long, but they're here now. And God says, I want you to go to these people. I want you to share with them the truth of what you received. I want you to tell them what I've told you. I want to teach them what I taught you. I want you to let them hear what you've already heard. I want you to live a life that reflects who I am and reflects the life that is so much better than anything this world has to offer. He says, I want you to go and I want you to love these people. But if we want to be those people, if we want to move on that mission, I'm telling you, we got to stop and we got to listen and we got to be willing to go where it's uncomfortable and we got to be willing to look and see, God, what have you put in front of me? So let's go before him and let's ask him to do that right now. God, we, we recognize that you have a plan and a purpose for this time. God, for this day, for this week, for this semester. And Lord, we just ask 
that we would be a people who are buying in. God, a people who are looking for those opportunities, that are seeing the needs, the pains, the desperation. Lord, the sorrow that only you can turn to joy. Lord, the defeats that only you can be victorious over. So God, we pray that we would not be distracted by, by maybe the, the, the other pursuits that this world has offered, God, the distractions that may pop up, the, the things that even our heart may start to move towards and be tugged towards. God, we ask that we would just start off on the right foot. That God, we would start off seeing that you have something bigger and better and greater and more fulfilling and longer lasting than anything that this fleeting shadow of an existence has to offer. God, we pray that we would be your people who are listening moving or looking. So if you would take a moment right now and ask God, Lord, show me what opportunity is in my midst. What's right here in front of me right now before classes even start. God, who's that person in my family, in my house, in my workplace, in my whatever study group? God, show me. Who do I move towards? God, what organization do I move towards? What, what type of people do I, do I move towards? How can I serve how can I share the good news of Jesus Christ? And ask the Lord to draw that to your mind, but then follow it up by saying, God, I want you to give me a heart that's willing, feet that are quick to go. Lord, let your spirit begin emboldening me right now and strengthening me right now so that when the opportune moment arises, I'm ready to say yes without hesitation. Pray those things. Ask him to reveal opportunity. Ask him to motivate you to move into it. Ask him that right now.